With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marie. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. John DeGee's joining me, as usual, from Chicago. Uh, busy weekend to look back on, John, and some news to talk about as well. Uh, ready to jump into this? Yeah, looking forward to it. Cool. All right. We'll be recapping a couple of races here to get things started. We've got uh, Blancpain GT Endurance Cup action from Silverstone, ELMS, was racing over the weekend at Monza Blancpain GT World Challenge Asia Racing in Thailand over the weekend, too. So we'll touch on those here in just a moment. Some news to get to, plus an interview with Gar Robinson, who recently made his debut in the WeatherTech Championship at Mid-Ohio, and he's also in a really good spot in the points as far as Pirelli GT4 America is concerned, headed up to Canadian Tire Motorsport Park this weekend. So a lot to cover with Gar We'll do that in a little while, and we'll wrap things up by looking ahead to CTMP plus listener questions. But we'll start at Silverstone, Blancpain GT Endurance Cup. It was a Ferrari win for the first time in this series since 2013. SMP Racing's Davide Rigon, Mikhail Aloshin, and Miguel Molina teamed for the victory. They started quite a ways back, I think 10th place, and ultimately drove their way to the front. It was a, a really strong finish to the race from Davide Rigon, and while it has been a while for Ferrari in this particular championship, John, it does seem like the prancing horse has a little momentum behind it, looking at GT3 results from other Blancpain SRO championships. Yeah, absolutely. We just have to remember the California 8 Hours, the Intercontinental GT Challenge powered by Pirelli round at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, where Hub Auto Corsa ended up breaking through for a um, big victory for Ferrari there. And um, ironically, Molina was part of that driver lineup um, as well. And um, obviously the Ferrari's been strong in America in in competition, winning last year in the Sprint X division with Tony Vlander and Molina. Okay, maybe we could sort of see a trend here with a particular factory Ferrari driver, but um, nonetheless, uh, a really impressive day for the prancing horse. And um, I think it shows the diversity in Blancpain GT um, endurance com- competition right now. Um, our Jake uh, Kilshaw was on, on site over the weekend, and he reported in the post-race notebook that he uh, published, uh, I think there's been a streak of different manufacturers winning each race, um, stre- um, stretching back to the start of last season. There's been seven races and seven different manufacturers. So um, that says a lot for the Endurance Cup, which is a very highly competitive field, um, usually always over 50 cars, and um, we, we saw another great one this weekend. Yeah, it was uh, highly entertaining. Some some uh, controversy, I suppose, or, or certainly some big hits. Uh, we saw some attrition as well. That wasn't uh, necessarily what you're looking for, but it did bunch up the field a few times and erase some big leads, and, and it led to a, a dramatic dash to the finish Five different manufacturers, speaking of diversity, represented in the top five. We had a Ferrari winning, Lamborghini from Orange One FFF Racing in second, an Audi from WRT in third, a Porsche from Rova Racing in fourth, and a Mercedes from Straka Racing in fifth. So, like you said, it, it speaks to the diversity that we see on the grid and the success that various manufacturers have been able to have in uh, SRO sanctioned championships and in this one in particular. So uh, some good stuff from over the weekend at Silverstone. Jake had the coverage, as John mentioned. Big notebook, 
to sift through at the end of it all, plus, of course, reaction and uh, the race recap if you weren't able to catch the race from um, Silverstone over the weekend. But uh, let's shift our focus to Monza, ELMS racing there. G-Drive won its third straight race at Monza in ELMS competition. This time, Norman Nato, Roman Rusinov, and Job van Oydert uh, picking up the victory in that G-Drive machine. Uh, IDEX Sport had a really strong run. They finished second. They had to start from the rear of the field after not setting a time in qualifying. So a good job by them to move up through the field and really threaten for a win at the end of the race. In LMP3, it was Euro International that picked up the win. Jens Peterson and Mikkel Jensen. And Dempsey Proton Racing continues to show its strength. GTE victors over the weekend. Christian Reed, Ricardo Pera, and Matteo Cairoli. As we saw at Silverstone, though, John, there were some big hits in the race at Monza, or over the weekend at Monza, actually. And uh, that might have been one of the storylines, unfortunately, leaving the Italian circuit. Yeah, Leo, Leo Roussel had a, a pretty big accident over the, the race weekend, ended up with a fractured vertebrae. I believe he's un, about to undergo surgery for that. Um, also, we had Mark Patterson, which I think was a, a big storyline heading into the weekend. He had a massive accident in testing. Um, ELMS has moved to a, a in-week testing model for this year where um, teams are at, already at the track. I think they, they run uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, or in some other cases, other days of the week, um, sort of in advance of each race weekend. And um, Patterson was in his Algarve Pro Racing Oracle when he lost control of it in the wet on the front straight, uh, ended up hitting his teammates car um, of Taksung Kim and um, Mark ended up with multiple pelvic fractures. Um, luckily, he's out of the hospital now from what we're told, but he's on his way home to the U.S. where he'll be undergoing surgery. And uh, for both Leo and Mark, um, it, it's basically ruled them out of the 24 hours of Lama, which is definitely un- unfortunate. Yeah, I never want to see that news, but the good news is these are injuries that uh, that can heal. We wish them the best in their recoveries coming out of uh, Monza over the weekend. And again, our full coverage is at sportscar365.com. Also racing this weekend was the Blancpain GT World Challenge Asia. They were racing in Buriram, Thailand. MG Choi and Manuel Metzger won race one in a Mercedes-AMG GT3. Meanwhile, it was Porsche in race two. Alex Imperatori and Vudicorn Intrafuvasak who teamed up to win in race two. And that's a that's a cool one for Intrafuvasak, who is Thai. So winning on home soil, that is uh, an extra little feather in his cap for sure. And we've got the race reports at the website for that race as well. So that's a quick look at what happened over the weekend. We'll turn our attention to the news next on the Double Stint Podcast. Hi, I'm Jerome Liekemolen, and you're listening to Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, let's jump into the news of the week, John. And I know we spent some time on this topic on the program last week, but you had a really well-thought-out opinion piece speaking about DPI and how it could potentially fit into the WEC, given the WEC's struggles right now of coming up with a rules package for their top class uh, that that they can really hitch their wagon to. We've had a lot of proposals out there and not a lot of firm commitment, either from the championship or from manufacturers. And it sounds like um, DPI just makes an awful lot of sense 
why are why do you think that uh, this is a possibility at this point and and what is the likelihood that it actually happens yeah i i personally think again let's make this clear this is a personal opinion a uh, not influenced by anything and and no inside information on what will actually happen but i i personally think that uh, ACO and FI really need to take a look at DPI again. I know they've said no to it before. They've sort of brushed it off. But at this point of the of the game, you know, there is no clear regulations for next season. Well, we have one more season to go. Sorry, we have 2019-2020 WEC, but the following season. So just in over, you know, 15 months time, there's still no regulations on what class of car will be racing in the top class what these cars will be made of how they'll be built um manufacturers are literally running out of time to build cars ready for that season and i think the big revelation came over the weekend at spa when toyota sort of declared that they're not in a position to be running the tso 50 hybrid another season beyond the 2019-2020 so that's left the ACO and FIA in a real bind here on them not being able to extend the current set of regulations with hybrid and non-hybrid through an EOT or more known today as BOP process between the two platforms. And there's no hypercar, supercar, GTE plus, DPI, whatever you want to call it. There's no set regulations there for the top class to define what to go forward with. So, Personally, I think the easiest solution would be to keep the non-hybrids running. I, I think that there's a, a decent crop of them. You know, you have G- the Janetta in the pipeline, you know, on the sidelines right now wanting to get in with the cust- with uh, prospective customers. Um, Bicolis has cars. Um, they want to sell some extra cars. Um, you know, the SMP BR1, I'm sure there's some ones out there as well. And maybe Orica could open up some some customer sales of the of the Rebellion as well. You can continue with that. You can add DPIs to bring in more manufacturers for some of the key races. You might even get a manufacturer building a a DPI for the interim period um, that would want to run a full season WEC. And and you let this formula work its way out for um, two or three seasons. And then you introduce the brand new formula, whatever it may be. Um, you know, the IMSA ACO have always been in talks and it could be a, a DPI 2.0, the, the route that IMSA is going down. You know, we've had extensive coverage on what DPI 2.0 is appearing to look like following some uh, roundtable um, steering group meetings um, held in recent months uh, at Daytona and Mid-Ohio. Um, it, to me, it would seem logical for, for the ACO and FIA to adopt that. But, um, you know, maybe they would go a different route after that. Who knows? But I think the bottom line is that there's a bit of a crisis going on in as to what the top class will be in in, in just, you know, over a year's time here. And we need answers and teams need answers. Manufacturers need answers. Um, And I I think that, you know, the timing is is crucial right now and there's a there's a, a manufacturer's working group meeting later this week we understand um with, with the hypercar manufacturers and i think a lot will be decided out of that ahead of the world motorsport council um, meeting i believe that's on june 14th so that'll be the friday of lama week so there's a lot of key deadlines here in the next month that i i think that'll sort of figure out what's next for all of this and um, hopefully there's going to be some solid decision making made if the FIA and ACO elect to go the DPI route, and again, let's reiterate, this is 
very much an if at this point. Which current DPI manufacturers do you think would find the WEC or at least Lamar attractive, and which manufacturers currently on the outside of DPI might now view that as an option worth pursuing? Well, I think all of the current man- DPI manufacturers, maybe except for Nissan, would find it attractive to at least do the 24 hours of Lama. If they have a chance to go for overall victories, um, you know, it's it's kind of a clear thing. And um, you have teams like um, uh, Wayne Taylor Racing previously expressing interest in going to Lama. Uh, Mazda's never hidden any any of their desires to, to go do that. And then somebody like Roger Penske, um, always having a dream to go for a run at Lama with an overall winning potentially you know a car can that can a car that can fight for the overall win so those right there you know make perfect sense as to other manufacturers that could jump in with a dpi like model um we know ford's right on the, the cusp of doing something right now um potentially for next year in imsa um with a dpi potentially and and maybe if something like this gets green lighted i think that they would be even more attracted to um put together a, a dpi 1.0 uh, you know, current gen platform um, to to go to Lama, maybe do a full WEC season to continue their Multimatic run operation over in Europe, and um, have the have a large presence in in America with such a, a car. And then you sort of wonder what happens to Toyota, and that that's a big question because Toyota has been a big proponent of technology, and um, DPI doesn't have that. I guess they could build a, a they would be able to do something like a non-hybrid, but that doesn't have technology either. So it very well could be, you know, as a stopgap measure, Toyota could easily bolt in an engine and have some styling cues off of an Orica-based LMP2. You know, they have uh, operations agreements with Orica and, and, you know, through their LMP1 hybrid program as, as it is. So that would make perfect sense, but nobody's asked that question. And I don't think we've gotten that far down the line. We first need to know what the regulations will be, but, um, Bottom line is I, I think that if DPI does become a reality in WEC, you would end up seeing at least one or two other manufacturers um, put something together because it's a very easy platform to build. You know, um, we had talk, you know, of of G Drive through its um, Russian limousine partner Aris. Um, they were looking at, at DPI some time ago, but it sort of became relevant, you know, apparent that. IMSA's mandate of being a, a mainstream auto manufacturer that sells cars in America would prohibit something like that. So, you know, who wouldn't say they would be interested to do something for around those rules as well? So um, there's a lot of possibilities out there. And I just hope whatever decision the ACO and FIA make, I hope it's a clear, uh, targeted um, objective decision that's clearly laid out that has plans that that are not going to be changing in a couple months down the line because ever since our, ever since Porsche's withdrawal from the WEC since that announcement it seems like the series has sort of been in a free for all of trying to figure out what's next and there's been constant evolutions of the regulations and it just confuses manufacturers it it shows um, instability in the championship, and, and they need a clear path forward right now. And to that point, it strikes me that here we are about a month away from the 2019 24 Hours of Le Mans, the 2018 
24 Hours of Le Mans was when they announced the hypercar regulations, and we left there thinking, okay, this sounds interesting, we just need more clarity, and in the 11 months or so that have passed since then, if anything, it's become less clear exactly what to expect from those regulations. So uh, it's definitely a difficult spot, and uh, and time is running out, as you said. So we'll see where this heads, but uh, really need some answers and need them relatively soon. Let's transition now away from the uh, the prototype discussions and to the GT ranks, where we know Ben Keating will be making the customer debut for the Ford GT at the 24 Hours of Le Mans this year. And uh, we had a story with Ben talking about the potential of running additional races with the Ford GT, either in the WEC or potentially uh, cherry-picking a few of the endurance races in IMSA and running those alongside his GTD programs. Yeah, really interesting prospect there. Um, I had a nice sit-down with Ben over the weekend at Mid-Ohio, and um, I asked him about additional races, and he said, for sure. And he said, you know, we were actually thinking of doing WEC until we found out that it's clashing with Petit Le Mans. And I said, well, wait a minute, that sort of gets, you know, or confusion, lack of information, confusion that's sort of been the case in WEC lately. Um, He was under the impression that the Petit Le Mans clash you know, still Fuji still clashed with Petit Lama. That's no longer the case. But the Fuji round for next season is the week before uh, Petit Lama. And when he found that out, he like sort of paused for a minute and said, "Hmm, okay. Well, as of now, we're still not planning a full season WEC program with the Ford GT. But you never know. So um, it was quite intriguing to see um, that." possibility it's it's been pretty clear that ben hasn't been the happiest at times in imsa um, in terms of the bop for the mercedes amg gt3 um the the car got handed a significant weight increase for sebring Um, they ended up with a a top five finish there which wasn't the end of the world but then ben had an unfortunate uh the team the riley motorsports had an unfortunate early uh accident with with jerome bleakamolin at the wheel at the most recent round at mid ohio it's put them further back in the points so i think right now um ben is definitely considering a lot of things um too early to say what exactly it'll be but um he said he could cherry pick some wec rounds he could put in a late entry for wec um although i think that the series is going to be more or less oversubscribed so i think he would need to meet the may 21st deadline in order to um have a guaranteed spot on the grid um for the full season if he does d- decide to do that um also he sort of hinted at maybe doing daytona in gtlm and and sort of pulling the double duty between gtd and gtlm uh he revealed to me that he was trying to do that this year in an LMP2 entry alongside his Mercedes AMG and GTD, but um, ultimately the drive time regulations in the Pro-Am and Force classes um, prohibited that. You know, it was possible, but it would have meant, I think he would have been spending, I think, something like eight hours of the race at least in behind the wheel, and that was going to be a lot um, jumping between the two cars. So um, bottom line, I, I think there's a lot on the table right now, um, but very intriguing that we could um, potentially see Ben mount a, a challenge in WEC with his Ford GT. Yeah, that would be really cool to see. Let's transition to uh, some more WEC discussion. BMW has laid out its plans for Le Mans. The official lineups are out. What do you make of those? No real surprises. Um, they sort of left it with a bit of intrigue heading into the race. You know, saying they can uh, with BMW Motorsport director Jens Marquardt saying 
they can put whoever they want. Nothing's been decided. But there are four core drivers that have been at most of the WEC races will will anchor um, the, the lineup with Martin Tomczyk, Nikki Katzberg, Antonio Felix da Costa, and Augusto Farfus. Um, joining them will be Philip Eng and um, Jesse Crone. So um, a strong lineup there. Obviously, there's some of the BMW stalwarts that aren't part of the lineup, like Alexander Sims, who was there last year, but he's since focused largely on Formula E. And then also um, somebody like uh, uh, Tom Blomquist, who's been doing very well behind the wheel of, of BMW M8s lately, especially in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship. But um, it's more of a case of just not enough seats, um, too many drivers, not enough seats. But um, that's what BMW will be looking like as they're going into what could be their final Le Mans in GTE. It hasn't yet been t- determined if MTech will return to the WEC next season. There is mounting speculation in- indicating they won't. But um, we'll have to sort of wait and see what, what happens there. Yeah, still waiting for some clarity. A team that we know will not be taking part in uh, racing, at least for the short term, after Le Mans is Clearwater, who announced that they will be taking what they're calling a total pause after the 24-hour race. What did you make of that news? Yeah, our Dan Lloyd spoke to the their team manager over the weekend at Spa and um, pretty much confirmed what we've expected, at least on the WEC side. Um, their, their stalwart driver, their principal, uh, Mak Wen Sung, retired um, from full-time competition following the Shanghai round in the WEC super season. The car has been filled with other drivers since. And um, we we sort of didn't expect them to continue in WEC, but maybe have some one-offs. Right now, that doesn't appear to be to be the case. So um, that team will be going away from international competition. Um, we very much likely could see that entry still compete in WEC, but on on a, under a different banner. Um, AF Corsa had um, largely run that operation um, this season with some uh, Asian mechanics, so those guys won't be part of it anymore. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see another customer sort of jump into a Ferrari. It always does seem to be a, a rotation of, uh, of of high-profile customer operations, uh, you know, running under different banners on behalf of AF Corsa. So um, I don't think it's going to be a huge detriment to WEC. There is some growth in LMP2 for next year. Also, you know, GTEM, if there's a Ford GT that can be added in with Ben Keating. So, um Bottom line is I think the grids will still be strong in WEC, just uh, maybe shuffled around with some new names or uh, new faces. All right, so that's a look at the news of the week this week. For more on those stories, you can find our coverage at sportscar365.com, plus other news that we didn't have time for on the show here this week. Coming up next, we'll speak with Gar Robinson from Robinson Racing, also raced uh, under the Lone Star Racing banner at Mid-Ohio as his debut in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. We'll talk to him about that. He teamed with Lawson Ashenbach there, and uh, we'll talk to Gar as well about what to expect from the weekend at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, which is coming up, where he enters as the second-place driver in the Pirelli GT4 America standings. A really tremendous start to the season for him. So a lot to cover, and we'll do that next on Double Stint. Hi, I'm Andy Prio, and you're listening to the Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Gar 
Robinson, kind enough to join us now on the Double Stint Podcast. Of course, races for Robinson Racing in Pirelli GT4 America. And uh, most recently, we saw him on track at Mid-Ohio in a Robinson Racing car that was uh, run in conjunction with Lone Star Racing alongside Lawson Ashenbach in the uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So, a lot to cover with you, Gar. We'll start at Mid-Ohio. This was the first of, I think, five races that you have planned running in uh, GTD. First of all, how would you uh, how would you rate the, the weekend that you had at Mid Ohio, and where do you think this program might be headed? I think uh, I think we I think we learned a lot. I mean, it's it's only my, I think that was only like my fourth day ever in something that had a uh, a good wing or a, a proper sure proper uh, proper aero car. I mean, a real aero car and stuff. So it's it's I think. Uh, me being with Lawson and me being with that team, and uh, I think it's going to teach me a lot in uh, running a GT3 car and running uh, running with uh, getting to know the IMSA paddock and the IMSA field a little bit better. It's just uh, I, the the results probably didn't show, or the, the final uh, race results probably didn't show. Uh, didn't what well, weren't a really wasn't really a good example of. Uh, of how the weekend went, but I think me and Lawson both showed great speed, and uh, I think the team showed a great, a great uh, capability of uh, of putting together a car that can uh, perform really well on a race weekend. What was your and, uh, initial impression of, of the IMSA paddock? I thought it was great. I mean, they got the they definitely uh, they definitely throw down on the starts, and uh, <laughs> they're uh, they're. Uh, they're pretty cutthroat, but I'm, I'm, I think my days in Trans Am running against Adam Andretti and uh, sure. Dylan McAvern and all those guys, I think uh, running wheel to wheel with those with uh, IMSA and all or with all the IMSA guys is uh, not not too much, not too much different. Just uh, the braking zones are a little uh, a little shorter. Yeah. Well, you mentioned where you got your start in Trans Am. How big of an adjustment has this been going GT racing first in GT4 and now a real downforce car in in the GT3 car that you're running uh, in the WeatherTech Championship? Well, I mean it's uh, it's they're two totally different things. I mean the the the, the GT4 or the GT the GT cars have they just drive they drive so much differently. But uh, the what I learned racing wise in Trans Am running or being able to run so close to other people. And, uh, uh, that, that, that really made it, made a big, that really made a big difference for me. But, uh, the, the big difference in trans or in, in GT racing is that not all the cars are the same. Just, sure. Uh, unlike Trans Am. I mean, everyone's in a pretty similar car, but in, in GT racing, you have, 10 different manufacturers or 10 plus manufacturers uh with everyone has a little bit every different car has a little bit different flavor of uh strengths and weaknesses but uh i mean it's it's just it's just a battle that it's actually i had to pull that back from some of my roots in uh uh spec miata racing when uh we'd run against uh the the e30 guys every now and then now they we'd be a little bit, uh, we'd have our advantages and they'd have their advantages. So it just, it just gives us, gives me some, uh, it just, it's just a little bit different, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm taking, I think I'm taking to it, uh, pretty well. And I got some pretty good teachers, uh, between Shane and Lawson, uh, 
getting getting me up to speed with all of it. But I think I think we're having a great time. Yeah, you anticipated my next question. Uh, I mean, two perfect people to learn from in Lawson and in Shane Lewis, who's your co-driver and teammate in SRO America competition. Uh, just what a perfect sounding board. How helpful has that been as you make your transition into this form of racing? It's, it's been really helpful. I mean, uh, me being, uh, having Lawson show me what he's been able to do and having Shane... Uh, with his experience running everything, it's just uh, it, how can you how can you not learn? How can you not pick up stuff from them? But uh, it's I just I've been able to take take uh, stuff from all of them and and just uh, apply it, and the the knowledge is there. So uh, they've helped me out a, a, a tremendous a tremendous amount. But um, I'm happy. Happy to have them uh, both both with me. Switching the focus to Pirelli GT4 America, uh, I think you find yourself second right now in the sprint standings going into Canadian Tire Motorsport Park this upcoming weekend. You've been pretty strong in terms of the pace that you and, and Shane have displayed in Sprint X as well. Uh, how, how would you assess the start to the season relative to the, the expectations that you set for yourself? Well, I mean, I mean I, I've I've won championships before, and that's been the goal for us: is uh, just just stand, just have consistent runs, and just keep having consistent finishes. And I think uh, I think we uh, our off season testing and our off season, our whole off season between our team and GM, and uh, just with the car, me learning the cars and everything, that's just been able to give me the result that I the, the results for the past three races or. Yeah, past three races minus uh, Long Beach, but uh, that was that was what that was. But uh, it was, I think, I think, we're, I think, if Long Beach is our worst race, then uh, I think, I think we'll be we'll be definitely there in the, at the end of the year. I mean, it's uh, I've I've been in this scenario for three three years in Trans Am, so it's it's uh, I I think we I think we stand a pretty good chance that the guys at GM give gave us a great car. My guys at the shop gave me a great car, and uh, Shane's been a great teammate to me. And uh, I think uh, I think we stand a pretty good chance of seeing the seeing the top of the stats at the end of the year. But it's uh, not going to be easy, and I'm going to have to uh, fight my hardest that I can to get there. What would you say was the it has been the highlight of your season so far? Uh. Probably the win, the win at VIR was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the podiums at, uh, at St. Pete were pretty cool. But uh, just 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 being able to run up against guy uh, against some of the top guys in that in that uh, in that field is is pretty pretty awesome. It's uh, me and Spencer Pavelli had a great had a great battle at uh, at uh, St. Petersburg. I think that was, that that we put on a great show for the fans and everything, and that's. That's what it's all about. I mean, we we we're we're here to entertain entertain the fans, and uh, whoever I think putting on a great show is uh, is always always a good uh, good bonus. Well, you definitely have done that on, on several occasions this year. Lastly, looking ahead to CTMP, is this a track that that you look forward to getting to? And overall, what what are your thoughts uh, headed into the next week on the calendar? Well. Um, I mean, we we had, uh, I think that was my that was my first 
podium last year, my right. first and only podium last year at, uh, at, uh, up there. But, um, I, it's a great track for me. It's, it's the only track that I've ever been to the first time where I actually screamed from, <laughs> uh, the first, the, from that, the, the big, uh, left hand drop. Yes. But, uh, it's, uh, definitely, definitely one of my favorite tracks in North America. And, uh, it's, I think it's, uh, I think we stand a pretty good chance. Boston did a great job with that that car last year, and uh, I think our off season testing will will help us out. And uh, I think I think we stand a pretty good chance as, as long as uh, I really don't want it to rain. If it doesn't. If it does, it, it happens. But I really would rather it didn't. But uh, I think I think we're going to have a good race. I think uh, I know the Panos guys are going to be fast. I know the Porsche guys are going to be fast. I know Cooper's going to be fast in the McLaren. And uh, Jared, Jared will be fast. Uh, every, everyone's gonna be fast, so it'll it'll be a good it'll be a good show, I think. But uh, I think I think uh, we have a good a good package for for that weekend. And I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the fans and everything are everyone are great up there, and we all get great uh, great responses from everyone. And it's uh, good to have the best sounding cars, I think, in the paddock. Definitely do. There's no doubt about that. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you up there. It is uh, Gar Robinson. He will be racing for Robinson Racing at CTMP this weekend. We'll be seeing him back in the WeatherTech Championship, I believe, at, Det- at Detroit. So, uh, busy busy rate week uh, racing calendar for, for you, Gar. And uh, thanks for taking some time to chat with us. And we'll see you this weekend. Thanks, man. I'm Lawson Ashenbach. You're listening to SportsCar 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, thank you very much to Gar for his time. And uh, with that, John, let's quickly wrap things up here by first taking our question that came in this week from Masked Racer, who wants to know, is Grasser Lamborghini eligible to score IMSA WeatherTech Series points? He writes, by my calculations, they would still be the GTD points leader after Mid-Ohio. Also, are they running Watkins Glen? So the answer is yes, they're eligible to score. Um Every team is eligible to score WeatherTech Championship points, and that even includes the Sprint Cup for GTD teams. Um, By the official standings, it shows Grasser in sixth place after Mid-Ohio with a total of 70 points because they had 35 each for winning Daytona and Sebring. Um, The Meyer-Shank number 86 is now in the lead with 84 points. And um, in terms of their future participation, yes, they will be at Watkins Glen. They'll be doing the rest of the Michelin Endurance Cup races. I'm still a little bit unclear on what the driver lineup will be. Uh, Mirko Bartolotti is um, slated to take part in the Blancpain World Challenge uh, Europe round that weekend, I believe at Misano. And um, he also is supposed to be in Watkins Glen. I don't think it's been determined what which race he'll be doing, but we can definitely expect the, the team's Lamborghini to be at the Glen. The car is still in the U.S. Um, I, I found out it's sitting in Peter Perrin's uh, Starworks workshop right now. So he has a big stack of Europeans-based uh, GT3 machinery between some of the land cars and Grasser and, and I think some others. So um, Grasser will be at, at the Glen, though, for sure. Yeah, looking forward to seeing them return. What a tremendous run they've been on racing here in the U.S. Thank you for the question, Masked Racer. And if you have a question for our show next week, you can leave it in the comments section or use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter. 
Finally, John, let's preview what to expect this weekend at CTMP. It's going to be another busy weekend, albeit without the touring car classes, but uh, lots of GT3 and GT4 racing with both the Sprint and Sprint X GT4 variants on track in Canada. Yeah, um, it's going to be, like you said, busy. Um, We have a few less cars making the trip north of the border. I think that's always to be expected for for races, you know, with customs or or whatever the costs involved of of transporting everything up. Right now, it looks like 14 GT3 cars for the Blancpain GT World Challenge America. That's 13 of them that came from VIR. Um, We have a new addition from Turner Motorsport, which we revealed last week um, for uh, the Japanese pairing um, that had taken part in some uh, the Utah round last year. They're going to be doing four of the remaining uh, World Challenge America races this year, competing in the the AM Cup. So um, lost a couple cars there in in GT3. I think most notably, um, no Squadra Corsa Garaggia Italia right now for Martin Fuentes and Cesar Baccarella. That's quite interesting. Also, both of the 111 competition Ferraris um, are not present, nor is the Stephen Cameron BMW. And also, Mark Miller set to make his first start of the season in the gradient racing Acura after uh, Ryan Eversley took the wheel for the opening two rounds of the season. And uh, looking in the GT4 ranks, there's been a few changes as well there. Um, uh, be sure to check out SportsCar 365 for, for all of the latest um, in the build-up to, to the, those races this, this weekend as well, which will again be Sprint and Sprint X, so separate races, four total between the two, and uh, the East Regional Series in action again as well. I'm looking forward to making the trip up to Canada. It's a really cool racetrack. The fans always turn out, so should be a fun weekend at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. That is our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love a rating and a review on iTunes if you have the time to help give us some direction and also help to make the show more visible for other sports car racing fans. With that, we'll say so long for now. Talk to you next week with our next edition of the Double Stint Podcast.